Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. We are recording on Tuesday afternoon after just watching a bit of a giant killing at the World Cup in Qatar with Saudi Arabia somehow defeating Argentina 2-1. But of course we're not here to analyse that today. Um, we are here to talk about a bit of England's performance um, with obviously Marcus Rashford scoring a goal, Maguire and Luke Shaw starting the game and to dissect a bit of a bit of a survey we've got here at the Manchester Evening News later in the podcast, but we'll come on to that. But first, I'm joined with Tyrone Marshall and Richard Fay. So Tyrone, how are you today? I'm very good. Thank you, Stephen. Very good. Inspired by uh, by what I've just what I've just seen <laughs> on, on ITV. Not the game, I mean the uh, the halftime scrap between Keane and Sooner. So that's got me right in the mood for a bit of uh, a bit of podcast debating. If I can get a scrap between you two going, that was the calibre of that. I'd be very happy by the end of the podcast. Rich, how are you? I'm annoyed, actually, because I, I, at half-time, I, I never do this, but today I muted the TV at half-time because like, the adverts are just annoying me so much. And I was like, I'm not going to miss anything. It's Argentina, Saudi Arabia. It's going to be boring half-time analysis ever. And then I saw Ty's tweet and I was like, God, I've really regretted this one, which I never thought I'd say. But um, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are yourself, Stephen? I'm not too bad. Thank you very much. It was an excellent game of football, that wasn't it? Um, it really was on a, for, for a Tuesday morning, especially. But Ty, I'll, I'll bring you back. Obviously, yesterday England kicked off the the, the campaign. Um, as I've just mentioned before, obviously Harry Maguire did start as expected, and Luke Shaw started as well. Um, both of those players assisted. Luke Shaw for brilliant assist from the left for Jude Bellingham, and Harry Maguire for Saka to make it two before half time. So considering we've just had a bit of a giant kill in there against Argentina. I know everyone said, look, it's, it's it's Iran, let's not get carried away, but it was an impressive performance from England and an impressive performance from United's representatives, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I thought it was very impressive from England. I, I and Rich were talking about it in, in the morning and I think we both had that down as, as maybe an England win, but a very narrow England win, 1-0, 2-0, 2-1. Iran's defensive record is very good. They're very defensive under Carlos Queiroz and pretty hard to break down, but England were excellent, and, and like you said, you, you shouldn't get carried away. It was only a run, even though everyone was absolutely getting carried away. Uh, but they played really well, and it was it was the quality of their build-up play, the invention, some of the tactical stuff. Trippier was excellent tactically in terms of moving in field and kind of creating space for Saka, and just some really some really good bits of play, some really good rotation in midfield between. Um, Mount Bellingham and Rice, and it all just it just gelled nicely, and they just looked they looked more like a club side than I think I've ever seen them look, which is incredible, really, when you think they've had about three proper training sessions, I think, before this game. But it did that formation and that shape just just clicked really, and it, it worked really well. And yeah, United players were were good. Luke Shaw grew into the game after his assist. Really, Trippier got forward a lot more early on, but Shaw definitely grew into it. He is uh, an underrated attacking threat, I think, from that flank. And Maguire was. Was good. His his passing. He had time on the ball. Iran didn't really press that much. He had a bit of time on the ball, but when he's got that time on the ball, his his forward passing is is underrated. I think Maguire he can he can break lines pretty well with his passing. He he picked out uh, Bellingham and Mount quite a lot and and played pretty well. Got that assist. It's it's amazing how much of a threat he is in the opposition box for England. He he always looks like getting on the end of corners for England. Their delivery is. Is exceptional pretty much every time from Trippier or Shaw, and and Maguire is the one they aim for, and pretty much every game he plays for for England, you can you can see him scoring goals from corners, and obviously he came really close to scoring. His assist was was very clever actually, because in that position, your first instinct is to head it back towards goal, and he kind of readjusted at the last minute and, and nodded it down for sack, and it was a clever piece of play, kind of summed Maguire's luck up really that. 
you know, he, he was probably at fault for Iran's first goal, really. Um, Mediterranean did run off the back of him. But to be fair, he was, you know, he was having double vision at the time, had literally just signalled he needed to come off. And then at the very moment he signals he needs to come off, Iran finally put an attack worthy of the name together and, and exposed a guy who's seeing two footballs and, and two Mediterraneans and looked like he didn't really know where he was. And you could see how ill he looked when he came off. So pretty pretty unfortunate that. But yeah, he, he played well at vindication really for for Southgate sticking with him. I know it's not a popular thing to say, but I still feel a little bit sorry for him. Some of the criticism he gets is absolutely bizarre. I really don't know why he's become football's pantomime villain. We saw it on tour in Australia when he was being booed um, being booed in Australia by football fans or United fans. Obviously, he's got deserved criticism for his United performances, but some of it is, is completely over the top as well, um, especially from the online fan base. And then Iran's fans turning up yesterday with a couple of banners poking fun at him. You know, it's even become the thing to do in Iranian football to take the mick out of Harry Maguire. It does it does feel like he's just a pantomime villain, really, and it's a lot of that is unfair. But he always plays well for England and as I've written a piece today for Lodger, I think it just it suits the way England plays suits him when he has time on the ball. He can defend a little bit deeper than he has to for United. If he does have to defend it's defend your penalty area. That's his strength. It's no coincidence his best performance for United this season was that West Ham game when United were awful in the second half just got deeper and deeper and deeper. And all he had to do was stand on the penalty spot, get blocks in, get headers in. That's that's where you want Harry Maguire. When he's defending the halfway line and, and defending one-on-one situations and having to make high-risk decisions 40 yards up the pitch, I don't think that's his strength. But when he's defending his penalty area, he's still a very, very good centre-half. Rich, I was going to ask you about that, but Ty's kind of, you know, summarised that quite Cheers, nicely. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Why does Harry Maguire look way better for England? Because we said it on the podcast on Friday, I believe. We all said Lockwood stardom and that he's always reserved his best form for England as opposed to United. And it kind of, you know, it was proved again yesterday. It was a positive performance, a strong performance, with the exception of that goal. But there was a caveat for that. Um, really powerful at corners. I thought his passing was superb. He was breaking the lines. So if you'd like to add a bit of Maguire, feel free. But I would also like to ask you about Luke Shaw because... Luke Shaw at the start of the season, obviously started the first two games, two heavy defeats. Well, one heavy defeat against uh, against Brentford, obviously, an embarrassing defeat against Brighton. And then he lost his place to Malassia, who came in, looked quite good. Um, but eventually he fought back, didn't he? And he won his place back. And there's always been a train of thought with Luke Shaw that perhaps he needs competition to produce his best football. We saw that of Alex Tellez the other season, don't we? So do you buy into that theory? And also, would you like to add anything on, on Maguire after ties give a, a brilliant assessment? Uh, no, I guess on, on Maguire, you have to say as well, that there is the mitigation that he hasn't been playing very much football. So I think you can almost allow that that problem for the goal, even if he's not had his double vision and feeling a bit rough. You know, it's still a shock to the system. In terms of his own performances for England, the system obviously maybe suits him a bit more. But I think a lot of it is that it is like a happy, safe space for him. It's a much more positive environment, maybe. It does feel that whenever he puts on the England shirt, that there's maybe more positive connotations than when he puts on the United shirt. It feels like he's he's destined to fail before he takes to the pitch. And, you know, if you go on social media, if you try and defend Harry Maguire at all, you get accused of being like a glazer mouthpiece and saying that you don't understand football because you're not allowed to, to be positive about him in, in the eyes of some fans. And he has almost just become this poster boy for everything that's been wrong with United in the last few years, similar to how Phil Jones was. You know, Phil Jones was this comedy character for many fans and they'd post pictures of his the faces he was making in games and just mocking him and bullying him and Harry Maguire's got that as well you know he he's not the most glamorous footballer he is just an 
old school, unorthodox, you know, England number six. That is what he is. And for some fans, they don't like that. But if you play him to his strengths and what he's good at, he's a very good footballer still. And we've seen that for the national team. As Ty said, he had that header that hit the crossbar. He, he should be getting a lot more goals from corners. Um, that's probably the biggest disappointment in a way. Obviously, defensively, he's not been good enough, but he is such a threat. And the amount of times he for United, he wins headers and has put some wide of goal. And it's just so infuriating. So it was great awareness for him for, for that second goal to head it back across goal. And again, the performance of the England of the United contingent there, Yes, it's only Iran, but for Argentina, that was only Saudi Arabia. So I think you've got to just praise for, for them beating who they've beaten because many top nations, particularly England in the past, didn't do that. You think of Tunisia at the last World Cup. You think Algeria. These teams, they should be beaten. They, they just didn't. So Maguire, I think, you know, he just seems to be enjoying his football at international level. And I feel that you know there's so much extra pressure on him at, at United, oddly. And the, the fans are almost on his back before he starts, whereas I don't think that's the same for, for England. And Luke Shaw, I agree with you. He's so much better when he's got that competition. And I think that's what's been United's maybe undoing of late on the opposite flank is Dallow's had no competition and his performances have dipped a bit. And United have looked more vulnerable on the right side of the fence because obviously Varane's missing, which is a huge loss. But United's, United, you know, it's great to have players who are so comfortable in their positions. But you do sense that United often drop off when their players become a bit too comfortable and you know we saw a bit of Bruno Fernandes as well he was excellent for his first year year and a half and then he just got used to playing in the team all the time and maybe that hunger and the drive went a little bit and I think for Luke Shaw you know as soon as he has valid competition he he raises his his stakes again and I think it's a fascinating battle that they both offer different things but Luke Shaw is an unsung hero of this United side and there's a reason why so many managers have stuck by him there's always been questions of him but they've always stuck by him yeah, I thought it was great to see Shaw back at kind of those Euro 2020 levels, I suppose. I thought he was world class at that tournament uh, on the back of that season, generally was. And it, if he can perform like that in Qatar, then that'll be fantastic for United and, and obviously England. Um, Ty Rashford is another of United's players at the tournament. Obviously, they've got three. Um, he came off the bench in the 71st minute and he scored, I think it was in 49 seconds, which is the, I forgot to note it down, the third quickest goal as a substitute at the World Cup. So he's got that nice little record. I'm sure he won't let people forget that when he's in the pub when he's older. Um, but look, he was beaming from a yeah when he was in that corner when he was celebrating. And after tumultuous season last year, he's obviously returned to form of the Ten Hag. He's looking really happy and he's enjoying his football again. It was great to see, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it really was. Um, you know, he's he's had a fantastic few months really at United under Ten Hag. I think we've said before now that. A lot of us said I always felt that he was a player who was really going to benefit from Ten Hag and someone who had lost their way because of the lack of elite level coaching really at United over recent years. He looks back to his best this season. He is playing with that smile on his face. Took the goal really well. I was surprised to see him come on, on the right actually when they brought Foden on as well. I thought it would they'd stick with the inverted wingers, but played them both on and what you say is their natural sides, I guess. We don't really see um Rashford playing that well on the right for United. But yeah, he took he took the goal really well. And like I say, he he looks one of the most important players at United at the moment. I, I wouldn't be surprised, maybe less so now, but certainly a couple of days ago, I thought there'd be a good chance he'd force his way into that England scene by the by the end of the tournament just for his goal threat. But they evidently weren't weren't struggling for goals that much yesterday. But yeah, it shows shows the impact he can make. Um a great, you know, considering his last touch for England would have been that that missed penalty to to be doing that within 50 seconds of coming on is, is kind of a good way to 
to banish those demons when he's not been in a squad for so long and just looks, like I say, he looks a player full of confidence at the moment and he is a real confidence player because when he's got that, he looks like he can take on the world and, and when he doesn't have it, when he doesn't have it, when he loses that confidence, he looks inhibited on the pitch. So I think it's making a, a real difference at the moment. Could you see him starting then, Rich? Because obviously I think Ty did put him in his team in the panel and he's just kind of mentioned that there because he is an unbelievable option to have off the bench if you know your legs are tiring, especially in hotter conditions. If you've got a, f- a fresh Rashford come off the bench and run that year, it's going to be really dangerous. But if he carries on, you know, having an impact off the bench and looking really good, could you see Southgate starting them? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because he does have a lot of favourites. I think Sterling could easily have been dropped as well for that game, but he repaid his faith with a goal. I think it's just a real good headache to have. And the possibility is maybe if England can beat the US on Friday, then they can go to that Wales game as a bit of a free hit. And I think Rashford probably does start that one then. And and from there on, and you, you don't know really what happens in the knockout stage. I think it depends on the type of opponent you've got. I think Sterling is a player... And they've got maybe Foden as well, who are good at breaking down stubborn, low-blocking teams and they can create chances out of nothing. Whereas Rashford, you know, is someone who's got explosive power and pace and can run at any defence, stretch legs. If a defender, a fullback gets a yellow card, put Rashford on against him and you're causing you know, your chaos. So I think from England's point of view, you, you pick and choose your forwards based on, on who your opposition are. But but Rashford does look revitalised. Of course, he's out of contract at the end, end of the season for United. He's got the option of an extra year, but you'd sense that getting him signed up to a new deal will be a priority for Ten Hag once the World Cup is done, regardless of, of how else Rashford does. He, he's been brilliant so far and he, he looks a real threat out wide, which you know he's always maybe had these aspirations of being a central striker, but I think he's coming to accept that you know he's he's deadlier when he does play, play out wide. He obviously played, I think, against Sheriff. He plays as sort of an attacking midfielder. He played just behind Ronaldo, which was a bit weird. But, you know, if Ronaldo's going and United are going to have this problem of having to sign a new striker, but they won't be able to get a top, top target till till next summer, then Rashford's going to see this as a chance to say, you know what, people say I'm not a striker. I, I probably maybe don't deserve a chance to be one, but I'm going to get the chance. And Rashford will look to, to, to see this as, as an opportunity. And United will have Anthony back after the World Cup. Garnacho's playing great on the left. Marshall obviously is injury prone, so maybe Rashford as a central striker is something we'll see more so after the World Cup. And you know, when he's playing like this, who would who would bet against him? If we're sticking with stats, I just mentioned one there. It was interesting, I presumed you both saw Rooney's only scored one goal at the World Cup in his career. And obviously Rashford's now level. I thought that was quite surprising actually. I know he didn't exactly tear it up, did he, Rooney at the World Cup? But uh, no. I thought he'd have more than one, definitely. Um, Ty, just last point on Rashford. He scored eight goals this season, three assists. We've just said he's been fantastic. But I've, I've got a feeling that there's still a little bit more to come. So do you think he's back at his very best? Or do you think we could see even better performances in the second part of the season? Um, yeah, I think there's, there's certainly an argument. He's, he's got another level to go to. Um, I think he had fallen so far over the last sort of 18 months that, that it is a gradual process and Ten Hag is, is helping him rebuild his game but the reality is we're still pretty early in the Ten Hag era there's you know pre, pre-season was obviously beneficial but there's not been loads of time on the training ground given the schedule this year so I think there's every reason to believe there's more to come from United generally under Ten Hag and I think you'd include pretty much every player under that so I think that there probably is more to come from from Rashford, it's worth remembering that a couple of years ago we had back-to-back twenty-goal seasons, and th- the second of those he wasn't great. After that, his his form fell off a cliff. So there's certainly a, a high ceiling there to get back to. And as good as he's been this year, there's still been games where his finishing's been inconsistent. He's not really made an impact. 
So I think in terms of consistency and, and maybe the very highest level, that there could still be more to come from him in the second half of the season. Now, Rich, you told me off on Friday for calling the England's group. Um, obviously, we Wales, Wales <laughs> drew 1-1 with America uh, last night. It was actually an enjoyable game. I thought it was a decent performance in the second half from Wales. Kiefer Moore obviously changed the game, didn't he? That substitution coming on. Um, so who do you think will be England's biggest threat in that group? Do you, you think it's going to be Wales after that performance? How are you feeling? What's your confidence like? I'd still, I don't know, I like the underdog's tag. I'd probably maybe still say the US. I think the USA will, will you know, I don't think they'll get destroyed by England. I think they'll probably lose. But I think whoever goes through second will, will maybe just be who loses by the least goals against England. It, it probably will come down to goal difference or something like that. But yeah, it's a really difficult one at this moment in time. I think Wales, you know, will have learned from uh, from the mistakes of the first half. Team selection was was all wrong, and it was too loyal to to pass sort of greats really, like of Ramsey and even Bale up until the goal was was really bad last night. But it's all about how you finish, isn't it? And Wales were fantastic for that second half, and particularly for the sort of second chunk of that second half as well. So I think that the advantage Wales have over USA is just as we saw the European Championship last summer, Scotland you know, got a really good point against England because it was a derby atmosphere and, you know, they, they were worth the point. They could have maybe won it themselves. And I think Wales will have a similar sort of performance against England. I think it could be a second string England. And, you know, if we've got to win to, to go through, get a point, I think the sort of derby atmosphere of it all could make it quite a tight and edgy game, which, which should work into our advantage. So it's up in the air. And from a Welsh point of view, that's all we really wanted. It was to not lose that opening game because it would have felt maybe a bit like curtains already if we'd lost last night. I agree with what you said about Gareth Bale. He got the praise, didn't he, last night naturally because he scored the goal under pressure and it was a brilliant penalty, to be fair. But he definitely wasn't the best player for Wales on the night. Yeah. I thought Necker Williams had a great game as well, didn't he? Roman down the left too, obviously. Is that not them Forest? Um, if we just move on now then, gents, I feel like we've covered the England United stuff quite well there. Um, we have got a big survey running at the moment at the MEN, a big United survey to gauge... United fans' perspective on the season, how it's going. And we're asking questions about the key issues, really. The transfer business, we're talking about how Ten Hag's doing, is handling of Ronaldo. So over the next 20 minutes or 10 minutes or so, I'm going to ask you both key questions. I'm going to be the quiz master, and you're going to give us some excellent answers, of course. Isn't that right, Tyrone? Uh, apparently so, Stephen. Apparently <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so we'll begin with really because I know we've kind of talked about it uh, the last week. I think I asked you both for a, a kind of a school report card. But we'll talk about Ten Hag's first few months in charge and how you would assess those. Obviously, United are sitting at 26 points at the mid-season point in the Premier League season. Um, I've said it many times after the nightmare that was last term. I think it's been a very positive start. They've made a lot of progress. Tyrone, I think you feel the same, don't you? Yeah, I think so, really. You'd have to say it's been a, a positive start, especially from... You know, from I guess from the start of the season, if you're taking it from the very start of August, it's probably been about as expected, maybe ever so slightly above expected. If you take it from August the 13th and the night that lost 4-0 to Brentford and, and lost both of their first two games, then it's been excellent, really, because to to recover from that in the manner they have done is is very good. So I suppose it depends how you're judging it. If if you take it from those two defeats, then I certainly didn't expect United to, to be in this position now, to be so close to the top four. If you take it from the, the the first before the first game of the season, I think there was probably a feeling they should be battling for top four, maybe not getting it. So they're probably about where people think they are. So it does kind of depend how you how you judge it in that regard. But yeah, I think it's been 
I think it's been pretty good. Um, you know, seven out of ten, I guess, on the pitch. There's there's games they've won, they've not been convincing. The you know the Fulham game, I didn't think they deserved to win. There's too many games, they're only edging one nil, especially against teams they should be putting away. There is clear room for improvement, but yeah, I think generally it's been it's it's been above just about above average. And if you think of where they were after that Brentford defeat, then since taking it just from then, it's been it's been well above average because the way they've recovered from that, I think, has been has been exceptional. If we talk about Ten Hag's character, Rich, because there were some warnings during his time at Ajax that you know he's a bit straight talking, um, he was perhaps a bit blunt, and we obviously saw that in press conferences. But in my opinion, I think it's been quite refreshing actually. Um, and there were doubts about how the players would respond to that kind of management. So, how impressed have you been with his character, really, or not impressed? Although I imagine what your answer is going to be. And he's kind of shown an impressive character deal for Ronaldo as well, hasn't he? Which is obviously the elephant in the room. Yeah, absolutely. I think at first, particularly the early results, there was this this question of maybe the job was too big for him. And he hadn't really taken on the differences between Ajax and Man United. He was at a massive club in Ajax, but he was at an elite global force in, in, in United and it was like a completely different scenario. And I think obviously he's been learning on the job, but there's still so much for him to learn. And I know we always bring his age into it and the fact, you know, he's older maybe than he looks, but in terms of sort of elite level management, he's still quite new to it and, and learning to it. So, you know, particularly at United level, it's always going to be teething issues. And we've seen, again, we always draw the comparisons, but look at Arsenal. They've had time, they've had patience, they've started to build something and they're reaping the rewards now. And that has to be the blueprint for United going forward. I think Ten Hag has just, yeah, it's just been a case of learning you know, learning for him. And he was in at the deep end, it started badly, but since then he's got his decisions right. And I think the only real criticism of him is that in the summer, he probably did take the easy decisions. He didn't change the captaincy. He stuck with De Gea, which you know in the last few weeks certainly is paying off as well. And Ronaldo, he should have maybe put his foot down straight away and said, well, I don't ideally want this player, but oh, I'll just keep him on side because that'll keep the fans happy, just keep the striker happy. And I think now he's almost learnt from those first few mistakes. And I think he really does have the authority and the power to implement any change that, that he wants to. United are listening to him. They spent more in the summer than they were planning to because Ten Hag advised it. They've had you know some renovations of the training ground because Ten Hag advised them to do so. They changed the dugouts at Old Trafford because Ten Hag advised them to. So he has got the power. United are listening to him. There's still, you know, lots more to learn for him. But you know, another important aspect which we said from the start is the players don't choose their manager. You don't you don't choose who your boss is. And I think it's been a real welcome sort of culture shock for some of those players where, you know, it is a different regime now. There are standards that have to be met and it's not just rhetoric anymore. You know, there is real substance towards that. So He's been a breath of fresh air and yeah, I think just patience is the key. It's not going to be a quick fix. Top four would still be an achievement this season, which might answer a future question. But yeah, United just need to be patient with him. Yeah, from where they've come from, top four would definitely be an achievement, wouldn't it? I think we'd all agree on that. Um, But we'll come on to that because that is a question on the survey. But another, obviously, uh, want to hear the fans' opinion on the the signing of the summer, Ty. There was obviously six arrivals in the summer. Over £200 was spent. And for me, it has to be Martin Dubravka. He was the signing of the summer. What a <laughs> what an inspired decision that was to bring to the club. No, on a serious note, I think for me, obviously, it's between Ericsson and Martinez. Um, if I was sitting on the fence, I'd, I'd hum and haw between those. It is a difficult decision. Martinez has been outstanding. He's really made such a difference to that back line. And it has helped that kind of Maguire has been demoted, I feel. And his partnership with Varane has been fantastic to see. But on the other hand, I'm a huge fan of Christian Ericsson. 
I've been surprised actually. I've said it a few times on the podcast about his quality mm. um, in a you know a deeper role. So, what is your opinion on that? I'm going to try provoke a kind of me a keen soonest response from my review. Disagree on this issue. Um, I mean, I would throw Casemiro in there as well. Definitely, yeah. He, he was, you know, he was an expensive signing, and let's be honest, he's not someone that the the scouts are going to take loads of credit for. They're not unearthed a gem in, in five-time Champions League winner Casemiro and paying £70 million for a 30-year-old. But he has done exactly what was required. He has added a bit of beef to that midfield, a bit of proper nous as a defensive midfielder, allowed him to be a bit more aggressive in, in terms of how they set that midfield up. So a notable mention for him. Ericsson, like you say, has been, has been very tidy, very accomplished, played a lot more than I think we all expected. I think we all thought it'd probably be a squad player rather than, than playing such a vital role. But I think I would have to go for Martinez, N- not just for the quality of performances, but for the character he's added to the team. Um, you know, I've mentioned it a few times now that it does feel like he's just put his stamp on this team straight away. He's he's clearly an, a very aggressive centre-half, real sort of no-nonsense stuff when the ball's on the floor. And so much has been made of his height. And I think Go back to that Brentford game. I think you know we we all questioned it. Certainly, I did. That felt at that time he might he might get exposed there, but now it, it never gets mentioned, does it? The fact that he's he's five foot nine, whatever he is. There was I can't remember who they were playing against. I think it was West Ham when they won, and they were, he was playing against Skamaka, who's six foot five. And build up to that game, no one even mentioned it because it just even by that point it, it wasn't an issue anymore. And it, you know it's the quality of his defending, the quality of his passing. I think is fantastic. The options he gives United to to build up play in terms of breaking lines with those passes, especially having a left-footed option. And just arguably most importantly, the character, the aggression he's brought to that team, I think is is making a huge difference. So I think I would I would have to go with uh, Martinez, I think, as, as my signing of the summer. Rich, I'll give you £10. He's wrong. His... He's all wrong. Yes, there we go. I was going to say, I'll pay you if you disagree with Tyrone. Give us some fireworks, Rich. Give us some fireworks. I'm not going to give you fireworks, but I would just disagree <laughs> in saying that for me, it's Ericsson because he brings that calmness, the creativity, the composure to United's midfield. He, he, we already take for granted what he does. He is just so brilliant. And I actually think that if Eriksen's not playing, you miss him more than when Martinez isn't playing, because I think there are centre-backs there. I think if Lindelof comes in or, you know, you, you know, you could have Maguire, I don't think the drop-off is as bad as when you don't have Eriksen, from my personal point of view. And I think he's just the sort of glue that brings everything together. He is that... He he joins attack and defence. He makes things happen. His assists are effortless. You know he, he's now got a, a first goal for United. He needs to work on that. Maybe be a bit more dangerous from set pieces as well. But I think he is just so in line with the vision that Ten Hag's got, and he is the player who carries it out on the pitch. You know he is almost like the teacher's pet for for Ten Hag because he's the one who goes out there, make sure the other players are, are are playing well and. I think that Ericsson just makes the entire team better. He makes every single player do their job properly. He's good at orchestrating attacks. He's good at you know getting opportunities out of nowhere. You saw the Fulham goal. It's a great finish from Garnacho, but it's Ericsson's immense pass. It is so perfectly weighted and there for him to attack. You know he yeah for me it, it, it's Eric Ericsson all day long. I'm in Rich's corner here, Ty. No, I'm going to give you the right Perry, to reply. I'm going to give you the right to reply because we are journalists. Danish that Fred. Will... <laughs> That's the clip. That's the line. Why is Martinez more important to United than Ericsson, Ty, in your opinion? Um, like, I, Passion, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think that, that, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but I do think that, yeah. that aggression and that character in the team 
there's been a noticeable change in that. And then Ten Hag talks about team spirit in every single press conference and interview he does and the unity and the togetherness. And I think Martinez has had a big impact on that just because of his, you know, that kind of outgoing personality. You see his personality on the pitch a lot more than other players. He's, we're told he's a very aggressive defender, a very, you know, physical defender. And you just, you do see that personality. He goes onto the pitch and you see his personality. You don't see that in a lot of players. And I also just think his, the left-footedness and, and the quality of his passing out from defence. Anyway, I mentioned it previously there, but I think it gives United such a, a good balance and a good threat as well. His passing is hugely underrated. You can see why he can play midfield because he really can pick a pass. And I think he's been he's been key to a lot of decent goals United have scored this year in terms of firing those passes into the attackers or or into Ericsson and Fernandez's feet. And I think you know if you take Martinez out of the team, Ericsson is only half the player, and and you know that's uh, that's that's the reason right there. But no, in, in all seriousness, I I can see the argument with Ericsson. Yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, they're, they're both brilliant. Transfer. They are both brilliant. Yeah, yeah you don't. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't have like obviously we did for the survey, which you should check out. <laughs> <Nigeria, laughs> but you don't always have to pick between. They're both very good at what they do, and there is, is there is no sort of right or wrong, is there? Because they've got them both, and they're much better value than both. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And the the one, the, the one noticeable thing is the quality of the signings. You know, you think back to previous transfer windows. You look at last year, and we'd have been talking about Sancho, Varane, and Ronaldo being a good transfer window. When in reality been a bit of a disaster really all right Varane's very good but he's always injured Sancho's not really showing anything Ronaldo we've talked about enough recently we know what's happened there 2019 you look they spent 125 million on Maguire and Wambasaka. oh Dan we, James do do but and Dan James, Dan James who's already gone and somehow produced a Made profit, a profit. Um, there has been an element of fortune though hasn't it Ty about this summer's transfer business because they have given a lot of power to Ten Hag and they have you know Murta said look we listen to your targets, who you kind of want, and that how that's how the strategy has kind of been, you know, developed yeah. in the summer. So, what have you thought about that? And that is one of the questions on the survey to give you verdict on the transfer business. Because, in my opinion, elite clubs, you know, have aligned uh, recruitment policy, like Liverpool, for example. I know famously Jurgen Klopp didn't want Salah, did he? Um, and mm-hmm. you know, the transfer board pushed that through. So, what have you thought about that? Um. Certainly a risk. It certainly seemed a risk back in it August. It definitely works. It definitely works, doesn't it? It, it has worked. Yeah. yeah. And United United would tell you that all of those players were on a very short list of possible signings. <laughs> There's only 804 centimetres. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and players like, you know, if you're looking for a left-footed centre-back and you're compiling a short list of four or five, the Sandra Martinez is going to be on it because there's not that many left-footed centre-backs. You know, players like... Pau Torres and Lissandro Martinez are certainties to be on it. David Carmo was on it, who not a lot of people will have heard of or ever seen play at Braga, I think he was, before he moved. And those players will be on it just because there's not a lot of those players. So I think it's inevitable Martinez was on a shortlist like that. And once Tenag said, I want a left footer, you know, I think there was people at United who, who'd been watching Pau Torres for a long time and, and pushed Pau Torres. They gave the manager the say of players on that list and he went for Martinez. And you have to say he's... He's got it right. Um, I think Tino Malassi was probably one he's he's forced to a little bit more. Yeah. Ericsson he'd worked with, but I think every any manager, if they'd appointed Pochettino, he'd have looked at Ericsson and obviously worked with Ericsson. Um, sorry, he, he hadn't worked with Ericsson, had he? But he, he trained at Ajax last year and is yeah. an, an Ajax alumni. Um, Pochettino would have worked with Ericsson. He'd have wanted that signing. As a free transfer, it was a no-brainer, really. Anthony, for me, is, is the biggest risk. I think that's a huge transfer fee. He's done pretty well, and... I still think the jury's out a little bit, really, on 
on his impact. Um, he's getting better, but eighty-five million is a massive fee for someone who's played two years in in Holland, and and that was the real gamble for me. So yeah, it's you know it's it, it's a risky strategy letting a, a manager dictate to that degree. But I can certainly, you know, like I say, United will say those players are all on a shortlist, and the reality is that if you want a left-footed centre back, if you want a left-footed right winger, and you're compiling a list of five or six. I think it's probably inevitable Martinez and Anthony would be on those lists just because of the the scarcity of of players. Really, I think every and if you asked any of the Premier League top six this summer and you were told told them right, you need to sign. You're looking to sign a a left footed right winger. Compile a short list of five. Every one of those big six in the Premier League would have had Anthony on it just because of of what he's done the last two years. It's just inevitable to to, to a degree. So. You know, you can see that. It, it did feel like a risk at the time. It definitely worked out. It, it shows that the manager clearly knows what, what sort of player he wants. So you have to say, fair play really, as, as big a risk as it did it did seem in the summer, it, it is it is working out and it is paying off. I tell you what, poor Martin Dubravka, he's a both wax lyrical about the transfer business. And I'm the only Good one debut, who though. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> a great debut. debut. With the exception of conceding two goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, if we look at our prediction for the rest of the season, because that is obviously uh, another point on the survey, as we keep mentioning, a bit more of a plug. Lee is going to be very happy, our editor. Um, Rich, what's your prediction for the season? I can kind of see, I think, fifth at the moment. I could see them sticking in that position. They're currently six, point, six points behind City. Um, that would be fantastic if you could finish the season six points behind City. Every fan, would, I presume, would take that. Um, so how do you see the season developing? I think it's still going to be fourth at best really for me and maybe go for one of the domestic cups but there is obviously the mitigation of the draw and, and how the fixtures fall for that so yeah I think it's still such a big ask I mean when United start winning games we can all get carried away and ride, ride that wave but you know, being at Fulham the last game before the, the World Cup break they were very very fortunate to win that we've said that on a few occasions already this season it's a fantastic trait to grind out these gritty horrible wins and they've been doing that really well that is showing the, the character they're building but there's still more layers that they've got to build upon. They've still got to be in control of games, really. They're still scoring the majority of their goals on the break, which you know isn't the vision that Ten Hag ultimately wants. They still need to, to have that full sort of period of time to work with him and get these ideas under their belts and, and to, to really buy into his full vision. They're getting there. There's real promising signs, but it is such a big job. And you know, he's right at the start of his time at the club. And if you compare him to the other managers, Arteta, um, Guardiola and Klopp, they will you know, likely be you know, in the top four. And they've got the longevity. They've got the projects there. They, they've been doing it for years. They've had the players. They've had the squad overhaul. And then the, the teams lower down uh, uh, sort of earlier into their projects and, and their rebuilding sort of, sort of, yeah, opportunities. So... I do think that it's just about patience. It's just about patience. United can't get too carried away because there's been loads of times this season where they've just not been very good, but they've they've managed to get the wins. There's been lots of times where they've held on right at the end. So I, I think that the fourth is is still the ambition and still a realistic target. And they should be disappointed if they don't get fourth. That has to be the goal. As Ty said, they've spent 225 million-ish, haven't they? They've, they've smashed their previous transfer record by 75 million pounds. There has to be results this season and it has to be top four. Take that, have a little patience. What a what a song, Rich. Uh, look at in One terms of my favourites. Of... <laughs> it was your ringtone, wasn't it, in the office? Well, 
<laughs> You've thrown the bus there, haven't you? <laughs> in, in terms of silverware tie, I don't think anyone expected Ten Hag to win a trophy this season. But it would be fantastic if he, if he could deliver silverware. You've got the League Cup that's just opened up. And you kind of look at the opposition that's remaining. We talked about the other week. It's a fantastic opportunity to get a trophy, isn't it, this year? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there'll be huge kudos to, for Ten Hag to win a trophy, even, even if it is the League Cup. You know, we've said previously, it's five years now since they won a trophy. And there's absolutely no reason why they can't win one. They are one of the big six teams in the Premier League. You would think one of those six will win the League Cup. One of those six will win the FA Cup. They're, they're in the Europa League. They've got a very tricky game against Barcelona. But all three of those are winnable for a club like Manchester United. And there's absolutely no reason why they can't win one. And I think we saw with, with, with Solskjaer, really, that the sooner you can win something like that and get a trophy... It just makes your job a, a whole lot easier. We, we've seen signs of progress this year for Ten Hag, but they finished fourth and win the League Cup. I think you'd have to say that's a, a fantastic season. If he can get a trophy, then I, I think it's going to make his, his job going forward an awful lot easier. If Eric Ten Hag's buzzwords this season have been togetherness, unity and spirit, I think my buzzword has been survey on this podcast because we we'll have discussed <laughs> the big United survey, but just to end it before dead mark, I'm sure I play a stormer of a game on Tuesday afternoon. We're going to discuss the fans' footballer of the year, chaps. We've already kind of discussed United's candidates and who we see as United's best players this season. But I'm going to open it up because we've been asked to vote um, and give our top five players of the calendar year in 2022. So just for the... Because we're running out of time, basically. I'm going to ask you for your top three. Um, and I'll give you mine first to begin with. It might give you a bit of a chance to think if you haven't already. So to begin with, I'd have De Bruyne in number one. Almost reached doubles, goals and assists in the Premier League last season. Obviously won the title with Manchester City. And I still believe he's the best midfielder in the league, if not the world. He's fantastic. In second, maybe a little bit biased, but I'd have Kieran Trippier for Newcastle. Newcastle was second. Maybe bottom. a little bit biased. Well, just don't bring in my reputation to question you, Rich. Um, Newcastle was second bottom of the league before Trippier's arrival. I hadn't won a game. Took Sorry, December took them to win a game. Trippier signs, the first signing of the new era. And Newcastle, look where they are now. They're absolutely flying and they're in the Champions League places uh, at the World Cup break, which is incredible. And to be fair, I didn't realise how good Trippier was. I think he's improved with Atletico Madrid and he really is a fantastic player. And in third, I'd have Harry Kane, just for his consistency. Marvellous last season. He obviously came second in the Golden Boot competition and he's continued that impressive form into this season. So, gents, over to you. Ty, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I would agree with you on two of those. Um, I think it's even an argument to say you could have Trippier at number one, to be honest. I think his impact has been huge. I would have De Bruyne and Trippier, and I think I would have Saka in as number three. Um, maybe that's a bit of recency bias from, from yesterday, but you know, it, it's so it's difficult to do this with it being a, a calendar year thing. He, you know, it's, it's hard to make a case that Haaland shouldn't be in there, but he has only been doing it since August, although he's scored enough goals to, to last him a calendar year already. But yeah, I think, I think I'd probably have Haaland in my top five just because of that impact. But in the top three, I, I think I'd have Saka. I think he's been brilliant this season and was was pretty good last year when Arsenal made some some real progress from, from January to May. And OK, they, they choked in the end when it came to top four. They've got themselves back in that position. But I think Saka has been, has been very good all year. Now, Rich, you'd not allow Paul Mullen, but crack on. See, I did, I did put Paul Mullen at number one in my actual vote because he means so much to me, both on and off the pitch, and what a, what a role model he is. And goals, he's 
you know, I think he has already scored 30 goals this year. You know, he has been phenomenal for Wrexham. Obviously, it's the National League, so there's mitigation there. But, I, I mean, I think De Bruyne's number one for everyone. I actually think... and. This might be influenced by the fact that it emerged at the weekend he supports Wrexham, but I had Hyungman Son in my top three as well. I think <laughs> he's been... Wrexham. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he he watched Welcome to Wrexham and, and told the Welsh players in the Tottenham squad that he wants to get a message to them to let them know that he supports them now. So when Wrexham oh scored against Oldshot at the weekend, they all did his, uh, Never get away his trademark this. celebration. Ooh, so uh, Hyungman Son, and yeah, he can go. So if I'm not allowed Paul Mullin, I probably would side with... I mean, I put Haaland in my top five when we did the actual vote, but I probably would say, you know, Saka. I think he has been brilliant and he epitomises everything that, that's good about that Arsenal team, really. And I know he's maybe dropped off lately in a few weeks, had a few injuries as well, but calendar year and the consistency. And for the age as well, you take for granted just how sort of young he is and how brilliant he is already. So, yeah, I'd say Son, De Bruyne and Saka for me. No, I agree. Saka's a special, special talent, and we're seeing that at this World Cup. Um, we didn't quite have the disagreements, maybe, of Roy Keane and Sunes at half-time earlier. Bringing, bringing Wrexham up is normally a good way to, uh, <laughs> to get a disagreement between a Shrews being a Wrexham fan. So another five minutes and you might have got there. Yeah, I was going to say, however, I think good content nonetheless. So thank you very much, Guy. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, yeah, Richard. Thank you very Richard. much. Brilliant. Thank you. And take care to all the listeners. Enjoy the World Cup this